0: Lord, you are here in our midst. We see you in the image of every person that they reflect you. Not just in the church, but those in the slums, those, Lord God, in the city, those, Lord God, far away. And you gather together before you with your incredible love and invitation through Jesus Christ to just know you as you are. That to know Jesus is to know you, and to know Jesus is to make him known. So God, in this moment, would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us in the stillness, in between the words, that in that silence that we can hear you loud and clear? That God, you're not just an object that's there, but you are a true being that calls us to this intimacy with you. So here we are. Continue to guide us. May this not be a worship activity. May this just be a true encounter. With the living God this morning. Would you humbly, we humbly ask that you would come. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're going through to kick off the series with this the title of our the mission statement of To Know Christ and to Make Christ Known. Could you repeat that after me? To know Christ and to make Christ known. So if anyone asks you, what does your church do? Why does it exist? That's your statement. You know why we exist? to know Christ, and to make him known. So that's, that's the summary, and when you see that phrase, we, the leadership session, we were so excited because in that simplicity, it captures everything. It, it's not about us. It's not about living a good life. It's not about just simply being good and religious and moral and raising children in a way that they know God. That's good. But Jim Collins, our author of this book, Good to Great, wrote, The greatest enemy of great it's not bad. Do you know what he says? The greatest enemy of great is good. We just settle for the good when things could be great. And, and when Jesus calls us to know him, we follow the words of Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Paul says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So Paul, he's saying to know Christ, man, that's life. So it's not just simply this knowing about. This is a call to greatness. So that's why Jim Collins says, the greatest enemy of great is not mediocrity or evil. It's it's good. By the way, you all agree with that. You know why? Because if you ever had surgery or you knew somebody who you loved, my mom had surgery a few years ago, do I want the doctor to do a great job or do I want him to do a good job? Can you pray for my mother's doctor to just do a good job? Not great, just do good enough. So cure that cancer, but you could leave the forceps inside her intestine. All right, that's good enough. And I say that because that's a true, you know, that's a true incident that happens. Doctors take care of the heart attack and the arteries and valves, and they leave a tongue, forceps, tweezers inside the body. It happens all the time. So you could say to the doctors, you didn't do a great job, but good enough. But anyone? I don't think so. so. And what Jesus is calling us to is, I didn't die for you on the cross so you could live in mediocrity. I didn't die for you on the cross so you could just merely be good and just live pleasant lives, comfortable living, come to church when you can and give and just do what you need to do. Jesus said, I gave you this so that you could have this greatness because our God is great and he wants you to be part of his great plan. So to know Christ... And to make Christ known is really a call to greatness. We're not just trying to be a good church. We're trying to be the greatest church we we could be for God's name. Because when I die, whether it be 100 years old or or 40 years old, I'm ready to go anytime. People don't believe me, but I'm like, I'm ready to see Jesus, man. Uh, But when I die, whatever that day is, I want to make sure, don't you, that Jesus, every day of my life, I try to give you Greatness. So that's the call to make to know Christ and to make Christ known. So I want to go to this Mark chapter 5 story, and I think this story captures this. If I could encourage you, follow along with the Bible. Today it's going to be more of a Bible story. We're going to go straight through this incredible story. And it's not going to be about three points, and here's what you do. We're going to just go through the text. And I'm going to be honest, you may get an application from this message that's not even spoken. As we follow along, the Holy Spirit may say this to you, and you may go, whoa, that's that? That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's for you. So I want to go to Mark chapter 5, a phenomenal story, and this is a story of Jesus and the demoniac. So, so the time, let's set the setting. What time of day is it? Wow, if you read the previous chapter, which all of you were supposed to do, did you read the syllabus? It's, a, it's, it's, it's late at night. They're traveling across the lake, and it's at nighttime, middle of the night. They just travel through the lake. Jesus did this funky thing because there was a storm, and he was sleeping, and the disciples said, I do you not care that we're going to die? And Jesus gets up and does this cool thing. Yo, be cool. Be still. He does the original fons, and then the waves stop, and then the disciples are scared of Jesus. It's middle of the night. So they get off, and the place that they go to, it's right on the Sea of Galilee. It's this 13-mile-wide lake. It's about five miles long. And at at this part, it's five miles wide. And they get off the ground. And if some of you guys were picking up on this, what kind of area are they in? Are they in Jewish land? How do you know they're not in Jewish land? Nice! Oh, man, we got some you, they're in Gentile territory. They're not in their home field. You know how you know? There's 2,000 pigs running around. <laughs> Jews don't touch pigs, don't go near pigs, they don't herd pigs, because they don't eat pigs. I love bacon, but Jews don't, and, and that's okay, but that, they're in Gentile territory. They're middle of the night. They just crossed the lake, and they're hanging out there, and as soon as they get out of the boat, Jesus gets out of the boat. What does he see? What's the setting? It's dark. There's pigs winking away. And then what's in the wall? There's a tomb. Forget Halloween. This is creepy, man. So you're like, okay, the disciples are like, I, I'll stay in the boat, Jesus. You don't talk about you don't hear the disciples getting out of the boat, do you? I think that's intentional. They were freaked out. So Jesus gets out, there's tombs around. He walks out. And you're, you know, you're like, okay, that's bad enough. But then you hear Row! what was that? And a man runs up to them. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him. I would just want you to take a moment, 10 seconds, to visualize what do you think this man looked like. I don't know if this guy was just like, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit weird. No, this guy was off the charts. He was probably bloody. Why? He cut himself. He he probably was dirty. He probably had no clothes. He probably had rings around his neck, the metal chains, or the chains that broken off. He was walking not like a human, and he was super strong. And this guy walks out, and Mark tells us, basically Mark's point is this, this man was not just disturbed. He was fully possessed. Yes, demons are real. Yes, the devil is real. This man was off the charts, and we'll find out more about that. So demon man possessed man runs out to Jesus, and then you would think if you were writing this story, what happens? A man runs out and meets Jesus, and what does he do? Attacks him, right? That's what I would think. So what does he do? This is fascinating. When he saw Jesus from a distance, the demoniac, he ran and yelled at him, clawed him, attacked him, fell on his knees in front of him. This is what's fascinating. The Greek word for fell on his knees is proskuneo. I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to be smart. I looked that up in commentary. I'm not that smart. But proskuneo, you know what that means? You're doing it now. What do you think it is? Worship. The word proskuneo is another word for worship. Does that not make you kind of get goosebumps? This demon-possessed man sees Jesus, and what does he do? Runs up to him, doesn't attack him. He bows down and falls to his feet, (laughs) and the word is basically worship. So that's kind of weird. So verse 7, right away, what Jesus says to him, we know this, if you read it carefully, he says this, Jesus says, addresses him first. How do we know that? In verse 8, it says, For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. So what did, Jesus initiated the discussion first, and then the man replied in verse 7. It's a little backwards here. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God, you won't torture me. That statement, there's a lot of things going on, and we're trying to get to know this Jesus, who he is, a little bit more here. That statement reveals three things about this demoniac and the demons within him. First, this demon knew Jesus and knew Jesus' name. Did you ever play the name game? There's different variations. There's a commentary and there's an author who writes this. There is power of knowing the true name of somebody else. You know what? I go online and I share this with you, but you know what I love reading these days It's not the articles. I'm fast. I'm addicted. I am. I'm addicted to reading the responses to the articles. It's hilarious. So whether it's about finance, politics, um, economy, education, crime, I don't like reading the articles. I like reading the comments of people, and it's hilarious. One of them said, Say, you socialist pig. And one guy's like, Well, you right-wing fanatic. And then one guy wrote, I'm using my real name. Why don't you be brave enough to show us your real name? I was like, man, they're just throwing it down. What are you going to do, like go to their house? But you see in that, right, some people put like in their nickname for the title, like, like Republican for life or Democrats rule. You know, they don't put their real names. One guy does. And then he says, yo, why don't you be a brave man and say your real name? And that happened this past week. And the point I'm making is, isn't it true to know there's this power over somebody to know their name? The demon is making a feeble effort to say to Jesus, I know who you are. And he's trying to try to get a leverage in here. Jesus, I know you. I know who you are. So commentary says this identification was an attempt to ward off the power of the exorcist. The demons knew Jesus wanted to get rid of him them. So second thing we know from this statement about the evil spirit is they knew Jesus was God. Did you catch that? See, when we read Jesus, we think of him as this nice man who pets sheep and likes children and has like this flowing blonde hair. (laughs) You know, we think Jesus is this nice guy. Well, Jesus, why don't you be like Jesus? He was a nice guy. You know, Jesus never came off as just a teacher. He never came off as just a moral teacher he never came off as a religious leader he always said he was god when the demon says you the son of the most high god every scholar in the world would say that is a statement of divinity you know how you know none of you use that with me thank goodness i don't use that with some of you hey little Jarrett, daughter of the most high god you know just well actually that's true but but in that statement you know we don't we don't attribute divinity to one another if you said boy charles horton is god we would probably have a special meeting at church and say we need to talk to you people said to jesus you're god you're just like god and then you know what he always did he didn't go oh come on now <laughs> you're just exaggerating <laughs> really no he, he didn't do that he said he said yes and either don't talk or tell others he would never deny it though so we know that third what did you catch about the evil spirit what do you feel about this demoniac's attitude toward jesus he was frightened and here's how ironic it is he was so frightened he was calling upon protection from the name of god swear to god you won't torture me is that ironic you're god but don't torture me on the name of god this demoniac was all over the place so Jesus flips a table with his name game and says, okay, I know who you know who I am. But let me tell you, you're not in control. I am. What is your name? And then what does a man respond with? What was the name? You all know this? Legion. A couple of implications. Number one, one is that there is thousands of demons in this one man. Again, he's not just troubled. He's not just, you know, bipolar or anything weird. He is fully possessed. In other words, there is nothing you and I could do to save him. Chains won't work. Throwing him in the tombs won't work. Your only prayer for the village people is to stay away from him. But second thing, legion. What does legion imply? Where does that word come from? Any any world history people? Romans, yes. There is this direct connection to Romans. That this idea of legion, it's this Roman army of 6,000 soldiers, 2,000 battalion. And it's this idea that in this man, there's a name connected to the imperial empire that's oppressing Jews. And do you see the visual? No matter how powerful this imperial power is, they bow down to the sovereign God. Wow. Legion. There's a political statement here. That even Rome, in all its greatness, cannot but to tremble before Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a teacher. I mean, he is someone that makes us shiver. So he goes on, verse 11. So Jesus concedes, and he says, yeah, I'll let you go. I, let me give you permission to go into the 2,000 pigs. And then the pigs, what do they do? They, they, the demons leave the man, goes into the pigs, and the pigs run down a steep bank And they were drowned, 2,000 of them. What a sight. Anyone? Raise your hand. Come on. I'm not the only one that wants to see that, no? All right. That's okay. So Westerners, here's what we're thinking. Come on, let's be honest. You're thinking, God, what a waste of money. Literally, all that bacon. (laughs) 2,000 pigs could feed California for 10 years but we can't read it from Western viewpoint. We have to read it from Jewish viewpoint. What is Jesus doing here? This comes together. What is Jesus? He's making a statement. Mark's showing us this clearly. The hearers of this story from Mark was this. There was a man with unclean spirits in a land of Gentiles of unclean people. The man of unclean spirit lived in a tomb, which was, according to Numbers chapter 9, verse 11, you don't go near it because... Dead people were unclean people as well. Goes into a pigs where the people know of God, unclean animals. And what is God, Jesus, doing here? He is cleansing it all. He is wiping it clean. It's not just about the man, is it? Jesus has come. The kingdom has come. And cleansing of this land, it's going to happen now. It's not just be good, keep it up, try to go to church. <laughs> it's, do you know who this Jesus is? Do you have any idea the name above all names that we sing to? He is not a pushover. He's bad <laughs> in a good way. So we go on. So that's the story that Jesus has come to cleanse the, the land. So after this happened, the 10 of the pigs, they're like, whoa, freaked out, and they run to the village, and they say, I don't care what time it is, everyone wake up, you got to check this out. The town people come and listen to this. This is fascinating. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Now you fill in the blank. What would you say after that should happen? Hallelujah. And they thanked him. They threw him a banquet. They worshipped God. This is what happened. Dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. (laughs) Just like the disciples a few verses ago when they saw Jesus calm the storm. The same word. They were afraid. Why would they be afraid? Can we talk about fear for just a minute here? Why are they afraid? One, new control, out of their control. They were freaked out because the person that they couldn't control was overcome by somebody they had no clue about. And if he could drive out these demons, what kind of demon is he? Or what is he? So there's this fear. And instead of coming to know this fear, what do they do? Can you just get out of here? (laughs) thanks for what you did for Billy over here, but can you just leave? So Jesus leaves. You know what this story is about? It's about cleansing. It's about the kingdom of Christ coming down. It's about Jesus who's come to save us from oppression. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus rolls out this scroll, he goes into church, and he said, he reads this line, the oppressed will be set free, the broken will be healed. And then he you know what he says at the end of that statement? He reads the scroll, he puts it down, he goes, Today, it's been fulfilled. That's audacious if you are not God. But Jesus is God. Oppressed will be set free. Jesus has come because he's a big power. You know, there is a great deal of fear amongst us, and this is the application that I want to leave with. And there's no particular practical thing. I just want to go over this text to say, to know Christ and to make him known. Do we know Christ in this way? Do you know Christ as the one who frees us from oppression? Do you know Christ as the one who has the power to overcome darkness? Do you know Christ as the one that could say to death, I laugh at you, you will not have the final say? Do you know Christ as the one that knows you personally, knows your sins, and says, small change. I am greater than he who's in the world. And I think one way we know if we know Christ is, this, is simply this. There's no, it's so rhetorical question that I want you to be bothered with this week. This story is also a story about fear. So the question I want to ask you is, what are you afraid of? What things fear you? You could tell what you trust and what you cling to by what you fear. For example, if you fear, if you trust money, you'd probably fear financial pitfall. You'd probably fear status loss you probably fear all these things what jesus is bringing us back to here is this do you fear the son of the most high god in a reverential way do you know him as he is because when you see him as he is there's no way you could walk away without at least reverence and awe and respect and fear so he goes on and he's leaving And then the story ends with this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. See, another curveball. I was thinking, if I'm writing this, and Jesus said, come on, there's room for you. He said, this is what Jesus says. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Do you realize what just happened in Mark chapter 5? Jesus has sent off his first Gentile missionary in the world. Did you realize that? One of the reasons why Jesus might not have said come is this. I have done a great work in you. Let it be known what you know of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you CPCLM? Is that not our story? Jesus says to you and me today, I have done a great work in you. Go and make it known. It's not about the building. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the choir. It's not about just the friendliness. These are all good, but here's a great thing. It's about this Jesus who drives out and frees and renews and restores. Brothers and sisters, this is who we worship. And this is why our mission statement is to know Christ. And if you know Christ, you can't help but to make him known. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God.